So this morning, I got a question for you. Anybody know what the number one selling piece of household furniture is in North America? Lazy Boy, what else? Huh? A bed? <laughs> Table? Okay, I kind of saw a theme going there for a moment. Thank you, Teresa, for breaking the theme there for a moment. Table? Uh, actually, Mary stole my thunder. It is the easy chair. It is the easy chair. Number one selling piece of furniture in North America is the easy chair. It speaks for itself, doesn't it? A life of what? Ease. It's made for comfort. It's made for relaxation. It's made for little movement. And it's made for mindless, mind-numbing television, right? So it speaks for itself. The easy chair is just that. It's for the ease. You've worked hard all day. You come home and you, what do you do? You plop in the easy chair and you don't plan on moving until something moves you, <laughs> either your bladder or your sleep mode. And it's time to go to bed. Well, even sleep mode, you don't even need to move, do you? I can get some pretty good naps in my easy chair. It's interesting, though, in the Bible, based on the translation, the various translations, but most of our translations use the word chair no more than four times through the entire scriptures. One translation only uses chair once. But the ones who use it four times, New NIV, uh, New International Version, the, the English Standard Version, which is what I read from here on Sundays, they, uh, they reference chair four times. Now, two of those four are in an instance where uh, Eli, the priest, is supposed to be leading Israel in holiness and righteousness, and his sons have started creating an abomination by uh, charging people extra sacrifices and then eating the sacrifices for themselves instead of doing what they're supposed to. And, and Eli gets in trouble, and when he finds out the Ark of the Covenant's been stolen, it says he fell off his chair. So there's four references to chair, but there's only two, and two of them are not good. The other one, one of the other ones is when... Uh, uh, the, 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 the lady and her husband were preparing a room for Elijah that he could stay there at their house from time to time when he would come through it. It says they, they placed a chair and a table and a lamp so that he could stay there when he came through town. So the idea of the easy chair doesn't go well with the theme of moving forward. So for 21 days, we're praying and we're fasting and we're really saying, Lord, move us out of our easy chair. Move us out of our comfort zone. And today we're going to talk about faith. Everybody say faith. faith. We're going to talk about faith today that, that moves us out beyond where we are right now. And that's what the forward 2022 idea really is. I believe that God put in my heart is that this is a year for us to, to, to do some things in faith that maybe we've never done, or maybe we've done in the past and we thought they failed, and, and he says it's time to reverse some of those things personally for each one of us, for our families, and for our, for our church family, and for our mission with Christ this coming year. So we're going to talk this morning about forward-moving faith. Any movement forward in Christ always requires a measure of faith. There's no place in the scriptures that we find we just get it all laid out for us beforehand and then we decide. There's a call, there's a step of faith, and then the next step is revealed. 
Abraham was called to go to a nation he did not even know. In fact, there's even some question, did Abraham really know Jehovah God personally when he began the journey? And reality is his father began the journey first, but then he stopped, pitched his tent and said, here's as far as I'm going. Abraham was called then to take it further. But every place you read in the scriptures, when you read through Hebrews 11 and you read that hall of faith, all of those individuals, none of them had the clear picture first. All they had was a call from God and the first step they were to take. Moses, leave this wilderness, go to, the, go to uh, Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. That's the first instructions he got. He was told then, because he complained a little bit, he was told what he could say, and then he was finally told, okay, your brother Aaron can go with you, but just go. It's time now to go. Faith is the first movement we make when we come to Christ. Your salvation has been by faith. Your first step in faith in Christ is to deny yourself, and then your second step, he says, is to take up your cross, to crucify your old sin nature, to repent of that and, and receive his life. And then your third step is to follow him. And then every subsequent step after that is simply following where he's taking you and staying in step through faith with him. So what do we know about faith? Faith is huge in the scriptures, but just a couple of random samplings here. We know this about faith. Faith is necessary in order to please the Father. Without work or without faith, it is impossible, Hebrews tells us, to please God. We know that faith is only faith when it's acted on. James chapter 2, faith without work, say it with me, is dead. So faith is really an action. Faith acts before it sees. Paul tells us that we live by faith, not by sight. Faith makes impossibilities become realities. Matthew chapter 11 Jesus says, you could say to this mountain, if you have mustard seed size faith, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed, and the mountain will be removed. So faith makes impossibilities a reality. This morning, we're going to look at faith through uh, an experience with Peter. Most of you are probably familiar that uh, Peter uh, walked on water. As far as we know, for walking on water, only Peter and Jesus would have been those two individuals who have ever done that? Some of you might say, well, that doesn't make much sense because Peter was rebuked for his lack of faith, as were the disciples that stayed in the boat, and Peter began to sink. But let me ask you this. Any of you ever walk on water? Peter did. Peter did. Now, maybe you've had the idea that Peter took one step out and began to sink. No. As we read the text this morning, we discover it says he walked to Jesus. He made it as far as Jesus before he began to sing. He made it far enough that all Jesus had to do was reach out and hold him. Let that sink in for a minute. Faith took him far enough to get close enough to Jesus for Jesus to hold him. So Peter's wasn't a failure. He actually walked on water. Let's look, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse number 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by, by the... Okay, let me just go right there again. He was there alone, but the boat by this time was long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Seems like every time these guys get in a boat in the Gospels, they got to fight a storm, don't they? You ever feel like that sometimes? <laughs> just every Monday, it's a new storm. And in the fourth watch of the night, which means very, very late at night, early morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. But Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Peter walks on water. He actually steps on top of water. And as the old joke would say, it wasn't true. He did not know where the stones were. He's walking on water to Jesus. And as we move forward this year, Jesus is going to call every one of us. He, he's been doing it in each of our lives for quite some time. He's calling each of us out onto the water. He's calling us onto a faith walk. You say, well, pastor, I've, I've got faith. Well, with James, I would say, then prove it. Now, I'm talking to me too. But you see, faith is not just words. It's not just an idea. Faith, according to what James tells us, is action. Peter could stay in the boat and say, hey, dudes, you know what? Jesus walking away. I could do that. I could do that. Well, first they would say, prove it, right? So faith is, is, is actually making movements. And Jesus is calling us to move forward. Whatever that looks like for you in 2022, in your business, in your, in your uh, finances, in your relationship to your children, your relationship to your spouse, your relationship to Jesus, your relationship to his church, your relationship to his mission of reaching the lost and dying world and preparing people for his return. Whatever that looks like to you, for you, he's calling you out to take some steps of faith this year. I've had to challenge myself this week. When is some time, when's the last time I really took a big step of faith? There's been some times and seasons that I've taken big steps of faith. They're not regular. Usually it's just smaller steps like, well, okay, God, we'll try this. We'll stick our toe in and see what that's about. There's been some of those seasons, but it's been a while. And so the Lord's been challenging me. That for this year, I've got to be willing to take some bigger steps. Some of these things that he's put in my heart, it's, it's time to stop evaluating them. It's time to get rid of analysis paralysis and step out of the boat and move forward. I believe he's calling all of us. I believe he's calling his church this year. But it's time to move forward. So from Peter, 
Three realities about our faith this morning as we follow Peter out of the boat into the water. Number one is this, forward-moving faith is confident in Christ. It's confident in Christ. You see, Peter's confined to this boat like the rest of the disciples are. He's in the, if you will, the same boat they are. Ah, see what I did there? They're struggling to row against the wind and against the choppy waters. They're afraid when they see Jesus in the middle of the storm. It's a chaotic situation. I don't get the impression from this that this storm is as bad as when Jesus is in the boat with them on another occasion and and has to rebuke the wind and waves. That one, we're told, was a hurricane force type of storm. This is just a natural occurrence on the Sea of Galilee. This is just one of those things that they're, they're used to, but they're not even complaining. It shows us here. It doesn't say they are, but they are having to row against the wind, and they haven't gotten very far. Matthew makes it clear that they had not gone far in a very long period of time. But Peter's a lifelong fisherman. Peter's been on that sea before. He's grown up on that sea. He's grown up fishing that sea from early childhood all the way into now his livelihood until he gave it up to follow Jesus. But he's never seen anybody walk on water. He's never seen anybody walk on that water before until he sees Jesus. Have you ever thought about walking on water? I've been at the lake or at the ocean. I've thought, I wonder what that's like. You know why I think that? Because I know Peter did it. And I know Jesus did it. My question is, all those years growing up, did Peter even have an inkling of ever wanting to walk on water? I would almost think as a lifelong fisherman, you'd kind of be tired of water. And maybe on your day off, you go to the mountains or something. But he's seen Jesus walk on water, and that inspires something within Peter. It's, uh, it's kind of like the idea of being willing to do something unknown and uncertain to you and unfamiliar to you after you've seen somebody else do it. Okay, here's a preacher story, totally. <laughs> I wasn't ever comfortable taking my tie off on a Sunday morning until I saw Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California with his tie off, and I thought, okay, here we go. Rick has led the way. Here it goes. It's off. But you say, I'll do it if you do it. Your friends are out, and you're doing something silly. And I've got to, I came up with a few stories this week. I'm not even, I'm not even going to take time to share any of them with you, but some of those moments where I was kind of the guy that would only do it after one of my other buddies had gone first. Okay, we used to sneak into a trampoline park late at night after it was closed. And the trampoline park had like 15 trampolines all side by side, just separated by about two feet from each other, and they're all ground level. So we would hop the fence, and then we would have contests running. Now, this is after a night of, of partying on top of it, which makes it even funnier to watch on video, um, is run as fast as we could, and then you start jumping from trampoline to trampoline, just like some video game. And we're bouncing from trampoline to trampoline to trampoline, and you're getting higher and higher and getting more out of control, and then boom, somebody knocks a knot on top of their head, and we all laugh, and we have a great time with it. But I wouldn't do the trampolines until I knew a few guys had already done it. Kind of got an idea of what it was like. 
Maybe you say, I'll do it if you do it first, or you'll say, uh, you go first. I know I can do it, but I'll watch you do it first, and then I'll show you how it's really done. But what you're wanting is confidence to know it can be done, that if they're going to take that steel old mining cart that's stretched across a small canyon up in the, north, the mountains of Southern California that you just happened upon while you're four-wheeling in the mountains one day, I'm just saying, and... You want to go across the other side by having to pull yourself all the way across that canyon on this old rusted out two-inch steel cable with pulleys on the cart, and you want to make sure it doesn't dive down headfirst into the canyon. You let your crazier buddies go first, right? So when we know that it can be done, we have more confidence that we could do it. That's where Peter is. Peter has confidence to walk on water because he's seen Jesus... Do it. It can be done, he says. What motivated Peter? I've thought about this this week. I think he's motivated. Perhaps he sees Jesus walking on water and says, hey, it can be done. Maybe he's uh, motivated by the fact he just got to get out of this boat. This boat's going nowhere in this wind. Maybe he wants to walk on water. Or maybe... He just wants to be with Jesus. That's a possibility. In fact, I will tell you, the Scripture leans on that one. Scripture says that, he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He doesn't ask Jesus how to teach him how to walk on water. He did ask him with the other disciples once, Lord, teach us how to pray. He didn't ask Jesus to give him a walking water lesson. He doesn't say, hey, I want to do that. Or, hey, I think I'll just jump out and do that. He says, Jesus, call me to you. Peter's faith is in Jesus, who apparently makes it possible to walk on water. That's where his faith is rooted, his confidence in Christ. Let me say to you this morning, our faith is rooted in someone or something. Faith is not abstract. Now, let me, let me give you a definition of abstract. Abstract means existing in thought. Something is abstract when it only exists in thought. It's concrete when it exists in practice and in demonstration. So faith is not abstract. Faith is, is more than a thought. In fact, uh, just to give you an illustration, I have a picture here of abstract art. Uh-huh. And everybody just felt the spirit right there, right? You know what abstract art is? Looking at that, it's quite apparent. It's abstract because it only dwells in the mind of the artist. Or abstract art is meant to convey something from the artist, but it's meant for you to decide what the artist is depicting. That's abstract. It's in thought only. But faith is concrete. Concrete means that it exists in a physical Form. Now, just because I showed you a slide of abstract, I have to show you a slide of, 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 well, this is not concrete art. This is a painting of horses. It's a shameless plug for horses this morning, which is my newfound joy. But there's no question what the painter, the artist is depicting, right? He clearly is depicting to us that Rottweilers make great pets, Right? Mary's looking at me like, why do you see that? No, it's clear what he's depicting. The strength, the freedom, the majesty, 
of the horse. That's what he's communicating. But back to faith for a moment now. Faith is not abstract. It's not thought. It's concrete. It is displayed. It is clear. When you walk in faith, it is quite aware you are walking in faith. You have made a faith decision. Everybody else looks and says, what are you doing? But you know what you're doing. You have stepped out in faith. It's concrete. Faith moves forward when it is firmly founded in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read to you there for just a moment something about this foundation of our confidence in Christ being concrete. Ephesians 2 verse 19, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Notice this built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, we're building from the old covenant and the new covenant in this life in Christ. The prophets and the apostles, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, say it with me, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together into a dwelling. In other words, we as the body of Christ are all being built into the kingdom of God together. We together make up the kingdom. We together make up the body. We together make up the temple, the dwelling of God on this earth. And we are building on what the prophets and the apostles have revealed to us by way of the Holy Spirit. And we begin building from the cornerstone which is Christ. In other places, Paul would say he is the head of the body. But the cornerstone, you know what the cornerstone is in relation to architecture? A cornerstone is traditionally the very first stone that is laid and it becomes the reference point from which all other stones are laid. You lay from there. So what, what Paul's telling us is that Christ is our cornerstone. Our absolute confidence in our salvation is in Christ, who is our cornerstone. And we build from there. We move forward with Jesus with confidence in him. We take steps of faith because we are confident in Christ. Not confident in our own wisdom and our own strength and abilities. That's going to get us in trouble. But we can have confidence in Christ because he has been there. He has done that. And we have the evidence and the witness of the scriptures. When Jesus is in it, you can do it. You can do it when Jesus is in it. The second reality is this. Forward-moving faith is confident in Christ's call. So Peter sees Christ walking on the water. He has confidence that this can be done. But his confidence comes in Christ calling him. Peter's given to impulsive behavior, wouldn't you say? When we read about him in the Scriptures, he is flying just every direction. Uh, he quickly cuts off the ear of the guard in the garden when Jesus is praying and Jesus has to reattach it there. He's quick to claim that he would be the only one who would remain faithful to Jesus through anything. He's the, uh, he's the one who had enough nerve to rebuke Jesus when Jesus talked about dying to the point that, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you put this on your resume that you're rebuked by Jesus as Satan? <laughs> Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't, you don't have the will of God in mind. Peter's an impulsive type of person, but for a flash of a moment here, so if you want to see impulse here, 
it is a little impulsive that he says, Lord, call me out. But there is a sense of reasoning about Peter in this moment, and he realizes unless Jesus calls, this really isn't going to work. So his confidence is in Jesus, and his confidence is in the fact that Jesus has said, Peter, come to me. If Jesus says, come to me, if Jesus says, this is where I want you, then you got to know it's all going to work. And whatever you need is going to be in place. Whatever's got to happen for you to be there where Jesus is calling you to and to do what he's calling you to do, the things are going to be in place. Steps of faith. Confidence in the call of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you ever walked on water? Anybody in the room? Raise your hand if you've ever walked on water. Right, none of us have. You know why none of us have? Jesus didn't call us to walk on water. I guarantee you, if Jesus called Alicia to walk on water, Sister Pastor's walking on water. But he hadn't called us, or we would have done it if we had faith to actually step out. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Paul says, to the one, who, the one who calls you, watch this, is faithful and he will do it. I've always heard this for a number of years. When God guides, he always provides. We want everything already in place before we take the step of faith. That's not faith. That's just responding out of our own abilities and intellect and understanding that, oh, well, look, everything's already in place. Let's do it. Faith is responding before we actually know everything is in place. If Jesus calls you to it, you can do it. Now I want to show you another verse of Scripture to confirm that, but I'm going to show it to you from two translations. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. First from the English Standard Version. Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, the message translation puts it this way. But I have no regrets. And then, by the way, Paul setting this up. Paul is uh, talking about the persecution he is suffering for, for preaching the gospel and for following Christ. So he's saying, I'm not ashamed and I'm not perplexed and I have no regrets. But he says, I have no regrets. I could not be more sure of my ground. What our concrete confidence the one I've trusted in can take care of what he trusted me to do right to the end. Let me read that again. In fact, let's read it together out loud. But I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. Whatever he's trusted you to do, he will carry it out. You just got to keep walking it out. He'll work it out. You walk it out. He's able to do what he's trusted me to do. Paul knew himself that Jesus would always be faithful to him. That's why he could sit in prison and write these letters of hope and encouragement and instruction that today we still read for hope 
encouragement and instruction. To move forward this year, you'll have to take some steps of faith. There's something the Lord's put in your heart to do, and it keeps coming back to you from time to time. You maybe try to dismiss it. You try to replace those thoughts with something else as quickly as you can. You contemplate it for a while, but you figure out every reason why you can't, and this is the time, this is the moment Jesus is calling to take a step out. Because if he calls you to do it, you can do it. You can. And if you'll keep walking with him, you'll fulfill it. The third reality that we learned this morning from Peter's experience is this. Forward-moving faith is confident in Christ in spite of crisis. Forward-moving faith is confident in Christ in spite of crisis. Every faith movement you make that you begin, is going to have a moment of crisis. I have seen it over and over in my own life, and in 30-something plus years of ministry, I've seen it over and over in the lives of others. When you decide you're going to take the step of faith, you're going to have a time of crisis somewhere pretty early on that's going to test the validity of your faith. And it, it's, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to cause you to jump back into the boat and never take another step of faith again. Or it's going to launch you with a stronger faith to finish out fulfilling what it is he called you out to do. I challenge young people that talk about wanting to go into ministry. And I challenge them and in, in, in doesn't sound encouraging, but I try to encourage them to recognize you're going to hit some hardships pretty early on. And you're going to start to question, should you have left that career to go into ministry to fulfill this dream that he's given you? You're going to question whether you've got the capabilities. The first time you have to deal with a people issue, when, when, when you first thought as a young pastor everybody loved you and everybody liked you, just because they like you on Facebook don't mean they like you in real life. You're going to deal with a people problem. I've had young people say, well, I, I felt called to the ministry, but I don't think I'm going to go anywhere near it. I see the issues that pastors deal with. But that's going to happen to you when, you when you say, I'm going to follow you, Lord, into what you've called me to do. But I tell you what, if you stay, if you stay in faith, you'll find that he gives you a stronger faith moving forward in your calling. Every man or woman of God was challenged with a faith crisis moment. Noah's building an ark out of obedience to God. He's preaching daily that rain's going to come and the judgment of God's coming. And it's more than 100 years that he's got to put up with all of that ridicule and wondering, did I miss it? Moses has a dream of delivering the people of Israel. But he spends 40 years on the backside of a desert, totally forgotten by everybody except God. Every man or woman of God in the scriptures that we read, they all went through crisis moments where the faith was tested. But the reason they ended up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, in the hall of faith, the reason we remember them as men and women of faith is because when they met the crisis, 
They continued to have confidence in the God who called them. You can have that same confidence. In fact, I just said you have to have that same confidence. Crisis hits and our trust in Jesus is tested. Not that we doubt Jesus is Lord and Savior, but we begin to doubt, did he really call me? Can he really do this? Is he really going to do this through me? Peter probably thinks to himself when he's out there in the middle of the water, we know that it says he walked out to Jesus. So he got close to Jesus. He made it that far. Then he started to think about the waves. It says he saw the, well, here's what it says. This is weird. It says he saw the wind. What he saw was the effects of the wind. What you see that troubles you and causes you to question your level of faith or even wonder if you have faith in a situation is you begin to see the effects of a circumstance. The hardship it's creating in the relationship. The difficulty it's creating in your finance. The, the, you see the effects of it and, and all of a sudden you, you hit panic mode. Because what's happened in the moment is you see the effects of the crisis more than you see the efficiency and effectiveness of Christ in the moment. Peter probably gets as far as Jesus and then he's thinking, I've arrived. What am I doing here? I can't walk on water. He might have thought, I've never walked on water before. This is insane. What was I thinking? Asking Jesus to call me out. Now that I'm here, what do I do now? Maybe, maybe he heard voices from the boat. His good old buddies, right? Peter, you idiot. Get back in this boat. Peter, you're a dreamer. You can't walk on water. Peter, it's your wife. She wants you to pick up some hummus on the way home tonight. He's hearing the voices. And he's got his own voice that he's hearing. And in the moment, he forgets that he heard the call and he starts to take reality being his own voice and that of others. My friends, when we turn up the volume on, on our own doubts and our own insecurities and that of others more than the volume of Jesus and his promise, our faith is going to waver. Our faith is going to waver. In the crisis, we are anchored to the cornerstone that is immovable. Jesus was going nowhere. Jesus saw the same wind as Peter. Jesus was not sinking. Every faith move you take will be met with challenge. The battle is mental. It's in your mind. We talk about spiritual warfare. You know where spiritual warfare takes place? Right here. It's fighting for your heart. It's fighting to move those 18 inches from your head to your heart. But the fight starts here. It can only reach your heart if you don't do something with the thoughts, your thoughts about you, your thoughts about Jesus, your thoughts about others around you, your thoughts about your own abilities or your lack of abilities, 
about whether you heard the call or not, your thoughts are going to be your greatest challenge. Oh, the challenge is real in front of you. This relationship is in real bad hardship right now. And you see the effects of it. But if you consider I'm incapable of dealing with this, this person is incapable of healing, this whatever, you start to think these things, then you stop believing for, with faith that it's going to be healed or changed or any different. Your thoughts around you, your thoughts about your own abilities and inabilities, whether you heard the call or not. Peter is on the water. He has been walking. But he begins to think maybe he shouldn't be. Maybe he shouldn't be walking on water. As I said, men and women of God throughout history have been challenged with the crisis of faith. So there's a lot of chaotic craziness that goes on around you and I today and every day. It has the potential to stop us from walking on the water in faith. It has the potential to distract us from what Christ is calling us to, which it is doing a great job of, by the way, right now. There's so much chaos and confusion and so much division within the body of Christ right now. Just, it's the enemy at work to distract us and to disrupt the mission and vision that Christ has called the church to. It has the potential to seek, sink your faith. So what do we do? We got to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Now, as much as ever, if not more than ever, we got to make time with Jesus every day to stay focused. We got to make time to pray with Jesus and commune with Him every day. We got to make time every day for His Word. We got to make time through the day to be mindful of Jesus. Developing just a mindset that is, that is centered on Christ. If you've ever just been driving down the road out of the blue, and maybe you're even listening to the radio, but then just the thought of Jesus and his love or his goodness, just some thought of Jesus comes to your mind, that's because you're mindful of Christ. We've got to be mindful of Christ in this hour and in this moment, or we're going to sink with discouragement. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 in chapter 12 tells us this, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in, line, in, finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And he's now there in the place of honor right alongside God. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the beginner and finisher of the race that we are now in. If you read it in other translations, typically it will say the author and perfecter or the author and finisher or the creator of and the finisher of our faith. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us is, look, in this run, in this journey, in this running on the water in faith, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's already been through this journey. He's already walked through all of this, and he has finished the race. Keep your eye on him. You want somebody to go first? Jesus did. You do it if somebody else went before you? Jesus did. Keep your eye on Jesus. 
So how do we, how do, we do this? Getting our minds renewed as the scriptures talk about. First one there I just gave you is remain Christ-focused. Second one is resolve to take one more step. When you're facing a crisis of faith and you're wondering or you're beginning to doubt and the thoughts are coming in, first you remain focused on Christ. Just continue to stay close to Jesus. He will make sense of it in due time. But the second one is always resolve to take one more step. The moment you stop walking toward Jesus in this call, you start to seek. You see, Peter got to Jesus. There were no more steps to take. Keep walking. Take the next step. In other words, do not give up. Take the next step. Psalm 37, verse 24, the psalmist says, Though he may stumble, talking about the man of God, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, that's the beauty of Peter's walking on water and then hits this faith crisis moment and starts to sink, is that Jesus doesn't let him die. If Jesus calls you into this big step of faith in this coming year, is he going to let you sink? Where's your confidence? Is he going to let you sink? You know he's called you. He's put it in your heart. It's the dream he's continued to give you. Is he going to let you sink? Is he going to let you fail? There are two pastors, nationally known pastors, that I, I follow their, their podcasts and their teachings. They kind of feed me. I love the way both of them, they both preach different styles. But they're both... Uh, I admire both of them as men of God, as pastors, and as teachers of God's Word. Both of them, when they share their testimonies, they both pastor megachurches right now. One of them outside of Springfield, Missouri, the other one in the nation's capital of Washington, D.C. Mark Batterson is, is that one. Some of you probably read some of Mark's books. Both of those men, Assembly of God pastors, pastoring huge, influential churches in our generation, now both talk about how they... We're at another church, both of them totally different places and times and seasons, and they talk about their failure, how they didn't succeed. Both of them tried planting churches and thought they were doing what God called them, and it just didn't work. They met a crisis moment in their faith. But there came a time when the Lord says, I'm calling you to James River in Springfield. I'm calling you to nation's capital or a capital church in, in, in D.C. And they took one more step of faith. And it's exactly where they were to be. This Thursday, once a year, this third Thursday of every year, of January of every year, I take the staff, Leisha and I take the staff to a one-day leadership uh, roundtable with uh, a hero of faith for me, and that is Gerald Brooks. He pastors Grace Church in uh, Plano. And he's written several books, <laughs> and he's, he's a great pastor and a great leader, and pastors a great church, Cowboys, uh, Deion Sanders and people like that. He counsels and helps Deion get sermons and stuff like that. Anyway, Gerald has written a book. I've read it. It said, How I Destroyed a Church. And he talks about the first church as a young guy that God ever called him to, and he said that I stood there about 18 months, and today that church is not on the map. He talks about as a young minister, and he talks about how he failed, how he failed God, how he failed that church. 
But he took another step of faith over 30-something years ago and decided to plant a church at the call of God. Today, actually, you may not know it, you may have read it, but there's been legislation passed late last year that in the state of Texas, no longer can the government mandate a church close its doors. He led this, he spearheaded that effort, him and a, a state congressperson that's in his church led that initiative. All of them talk about having had to take one more step of faith. They met the faith crisis, but they had to take one more step. We're all, we're all in that boat. Renew your mind. Take the next step. Your biggest, your biggest obstacle to moving forward is the renewing of your mind. Paul would say, take captive every thought and bring it under obedience to Christ. So I want to I give you a couple of affirmations this morning. We're talking about how to take thoughts captive. When the thoughts of doubt and insecurities and your inabilities and your doubts in Jesus begin to bombard your mind, how do you take them captive? Well, you've got to replace them. How many of you know? Your mind is capable of whatever. I've heard different words, 10,000 thoughts in a second or 30,000, somewhere in there. I mean, in other words, your mind is just moving. How do you take these thoughts captive? You have to replace them. That's where memorizing scripture comes in really, really handy. Let me just give you a couple of affirmations, and we're going to read them together. When I took these, I wrote these in first person for us today. And you may want to get your camera out and take a picture of each of these slides. I think there's five of them. But Isaiah 41, verse 10, let's say it together this morning out loud with faith. I will not fear, for you are with me. I will not be dismayed, for you are my God. You strengthen me, you help me, you uphold me with your, it's actually supposed to be his righteous hand. Sorry about that. Yeah, okay, so by the way, you're not strengthened by your own right hand, okay? Your right hand's going to fail you. Here's the next one, Hebrews 13. You will never leave me nor forsake me, so I can confidently say, you, Lord, are my helper. I will not fear. Mark 9, because I believe all things are possible. John 16, though I face challenges, I have courage because Jesus has overcome this world. Is that the last one? Got one more? All right, here we go. Ephesians 3. Jesus is able to do more than I am asking and dreaming according to his power that is already at work in me. You got to get your mind where you got to get focused on Jesus. You got to resolve to take one more step of faith in the middle of your crisis, and you got to get your mind renewed. Let me close and wrap it up with this this morning. Faith moving forward requires confidence in Christ, confidence in his call, and a confidence to continue following Jesus, staying focused on him. Two application points. Faith is just always taking the next step. You question whether you have faith in the middle of that moment. Can you take the next step? Faith takes the next step. And the second application point is this. Faith 
always unleashes the supernatural. If Peter doesn't take a step of faith out of the boat, he doesn't experience the supernatural experience of water walking. Will Jesus still love him? Oh, absolutely. Will Jesus still use him as the great forerunner in the founding of his church in the first century? Absolutely. But because he steps in faith, he walks in the supernatural. 